Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up and pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck. To hear the good news through grunts and with grunts, in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 42 As a deer longs for the flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts shall be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even though it seems impossible to the remnant of this people in these days, should it also seem impossible to me, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to live in Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you that have recently been hearing these words from the mouths of the prophets who were present when the foundation was laid for the rebuilding of the temple, the house of the Lord of hosts. For before those days there were no wages for people or for animals, nor was there any safety from the foe or from those who went out or came in, and I set them all against one another. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in former days, says the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall yield its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the the skies shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. 
just as you have been a cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and the house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I purposed to bring disaster upon you, when your ancestors provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath, for these things are the things that I hate, says the Lord. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 and 28 through 34. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs coming out of the tombs met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged them, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine. And suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swine herds ran off, and on going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the, de- to the demoniacs. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. Good morning, and welcome to the 32nd day of Martin Tide. This is Brother Logan Isaac, broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey in Knoxville, Maryland. This morning's readings come from Psalm 42, Zechariah 8, and Matthew 8. Um, this morning, uh, the Matthew 8 reading stood out to me. Uh, the the NRSV, unless I had it wrong, I don't think I did. Yeah, I had it on NRSV. The NRSV has the, uh, the region in which this story takes place. Um, as the country of the the Gadarenes. Um, But in seminary, I was taught that um, the people there were called the Gerasenes. And the focus is these two demoniacs, um, uh, people who are possessed by demons, but it's a way of addressing the demon, not the person. And um, they, it came to mind because others have written about how the pigs were, um, or the pig was used for, um, a unit, um, mascot, for lack of a better word, for a local, um, uh, military unit that was stationed in Judea. And, uh, it's the, as the story goes, um, this is an offhanded remark, kind of this hidden, 
uh, text about this legion that was there in Gadarene or Gerasene or nearby. And, um, you know, the swine go running off into the ocean and die. And it's supposed to uh, be reflective of this kind of anti-military, anti-violence sentiment in the, the early church or Jesus or, you know, maybe the local region. And it is true that there is a, a unit that used as its kind of emblem a pig um, in Judea. I don't know how close it was or where exactly Gerasene or Gadarene is. Um, but the, the thing that sticks with me is at the end, so for all, by all accounts uh, and for all intents and purposes, Jesus saves this town of two demons. Um, they, they lose a, a herd of swine, sure, they're probably not happy about that, I guess. And the whole the, the whole story ends with this line in verse 34. When they saw him, when the town people saw Jesus, they begged Jesus to leave their neighborhood. Um, and it makes me think of when he preaches for the first time and he preaches from Isaiah 60 and the people are so offended. And he kind of makes it happen. He's like, okay, here's how this is being interpreted and you all are, are kind of implicated in Isaiah's condemnation. Um, but here it's not really clear at first glance why the people of Gadarene are upset with him, other than they've lost a couple of swine. But if, if by, in Matthew 8, he's got a relatively decent reputation for healing, and that's what he does to these two people. Um, but for some reason, um, the townspeople are not happy. And Jesus has clearly done the right thing um, by the religious sentiment. And, you know, we'll leave the Roman or secular kind of imagination out of it. Um, but demons are bad. And these two demons have died or have, you know, lost, lost the power of these two people. And you'd think that was good. And yet the local politics um, uh, have, have made it such that something in that uh, something of what Jesus has done has disrupted the status quo, some kind of status quo. Um, and they beg him to leave. They don't like try and force him over a cliff, but they know he has power and they ask him to leave. They beg him to leave. They know they can't make him. Um, when Jesus preached at his local synagogue, um, uh, they, they, were, they tried to push him off a cliff and he miraculously, you know, um, escaped injury um, and so there's some kind of status quo thing that's been disrupted and that status quo is working against whatever good thing uh, the religious um, imagination called for for these demons to be driven out and so this reading uh, from this for this morning from Kellyanne Wilson of around the around the year org um, speaks similarly to this weird um, status quo that Martin, in this case, has disrupted. I'll go ahead and read uh, from it, and it's it's edited by Paul Burns um, in 2007, but it's actually a reprint of Butler's Lives of the Saints. Uh, this, this is the, the new concise edition in North America, um, edited, as I said, by Paul Burns, but Alban Butler is this Catholic um, hagiographer 
who goes through and catalogs a bunch of these saints. And, it, you know, it's like volumes and volumes. And there's others. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, Jacob Dvorjean did it before that. And anyway, so um, this is uh, from a, a reading probably of, of Martin for November 11th, um, reprinted in 2007. Quote, St. Martin felt his vocation was to a solitary life the desert monks of Egypt, being a powerful influence at the time. Then Bishop Hilary of Poitiers gave him some land, but others, drawn by his example, came to join him, and what is generally considered the first monastic community in Gaul came into being. He spent ten years there, teaching and preaching, until the people of Tours wanted him as their bishop. Christianity was an urban religion in Gaul, and St. Martin was a pioneer in spreading it to rural areas, where he established a rudimentary parish system. He was unsparing of himself, traveling all over his diocese on foot, by donkey, or by boat. He ventured farther afield and preached in other dioceses, which did not always endear him to their bishops. End quote. And that last line, again as well, um, Martin's actions didn't gain him any fans um, in the College of Bishops. Um, it wasn't a college at the time, but all the other um, regional leaders. Um, in the church were, could be upset by Martin coming through and preaching in their diocese. Um, and uh, Butler believes this happened um, as a, a bishop. And it is true, he did remain itinerant as a bishop. He died several miles from Tours, so we know that he didn't stay in the urban center. Um, but um, he also, as an itinerant exorcist, um, basically this um, formation instructor, um, he also would travel around and he would preach in other dioceses. You know, there's a, a bishop in, in, in the Touraine, the, the region of Tours, before Bishop uh, Martin was made bishop, and he's attracting people. Um, he's converting these um, country uh, communities, these rural communities, um, and creating a kind of parish system out in what was, you know, kind of the, the wild, wild west of the Roman Empire. And um, when he continued to do so as a bishop, and he would stray outside his own um, diocesan boundaries, he would piss off the other bishops. The status quo is getting in the way of this good God thing that uh, a saint is undertaking. And it's this rather tragic, you know, element of the humanness of the church, of, of human institutions in general, where the way things are gets in the way of the way things should be. And when someone comes along and says, the way things should be are the way things should be, not the way they are, that can upset people, even though it's, it is true. I mean, the good... The, the right thing to do is the right thing to do, even if it's not the convenient thing to do. Um, and so Martin did this, and Jesus did this um, clearly. And so the image I've selected today is not from aroundtheyear.org, but this is actually a surprisingly good picture I took in a church um, that claims to have been founded by Martin, and probably was, um, on the road from Tour to Cond, where um, Martin died in 397. And um, it's one of many churches that claim to have been founded by Martin. And this image is the main altar window. So it's behind the altar, and in the foreground you can see 
this shadow of the altar itself. And off to the right, you can uh, hopefully make out where um, these bishops are kind of talking amongst themselves as Martin is being ordained at the city of Tours. And this is, uh, evokes this uh, episode from Severus's biography of Martin where he's you know, brought in from the country under the, you know, somebody lies to him about, you know, I've got the sick wife, woe is me. And then they ba- basically just like put him on guard to make sure he doesn't turn around and run off because he doesn't want to be made bishop. And the other bishops don't want him to be made bishops, to be made bishop. And they were talking amongst themselves and grumbling and, and um, conspiring against Martin being made bishop. And um, so it's this really interesting image. Uh, the style is kind of, you know, typical for European windows in the, you know, 1700s or so. So it doesn't go back all that far. But it's this really kind of curious element in Martin's life um, where um, he's pissing off the religious authorities or, or at least the kind of system as it, as it became, as it, you know, emerged uh, after Constantine of the bishops being very powerful and other um, uncorrupted or less corrupted um, people rising to that uh, level, that status, was a threat because the system is often corrupt itself. And when something uncorrupting comes in, that can, you know, rock boats. And it typically doesn't end well, but for Martin, luckily, he did go on to live a full life um, even if the man uh, who gave us an example to live by Jesus um, didn't, uh, wasn't afforded that same luxury. This is a poem by Ken Anderson from his book, People of the Steeple. The unknown rebel entered town and quickly came to ill renown. Wined and dined with politicos, broke more mores than anyone knows. He left the in-crowd in the lurch, wreaked havoc for the local church, but carved a niche in history, this rabbler from Galilee. Thank you for falling in to First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation slash support. You can sponsor Morning Prayer for Pew Pew People with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I piss you off. Second, You can become a co-host by recording a weekday lectionary reading yourself and sending it to me to be included in an episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts will be provided to you directly, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in first formation in this or any way. Finally, and most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a recording app of your choice. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously, if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in morning prayers for pew-pew people. I hope you'll continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been Logan Isaac, always faithful, 
always family. Semper Familia.